Once again, Almighty Father, we stand in awe of You. For some reason that unclear to us, You thought enough of us to send Your Son. God the Son, we give You glory. For You thought, You believed that our feeble worship that sometimes won't even overcome a football game was worth Your sacrifice. God the Spirit, we stand in awe. We are humbled that You would come and speak to Your children. God Almighty, I ask that You would speak to us now. I pray that You would remove those things that would distract us from hearing Your Word. I pray that tonight You would enable us to hear what You have to say so that we will be the men and women of God that You have created us to be. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, and open our eyes that we may see the great God who reveals Himself to His children when we seek You. Oh, Spirit, enable Your children to seek You tonight so that we will know You better and therefore love You and trust You more. In Jesus' name, Amen. All the all the oxen free. <laughs> How many of you guys played that game? <laughs> Hide and seek is one of the most popular games worldwide. Every culture plays. In German, it's Verdeckspiel. In Spanish, it's Escondidas. In Greek, it's Krufto. Google knows the names of hide and seek in 25 languages. And of course, the object of hide-and-seek is to go and find as many of the kids as you can. And you, you've got to run and you've got to catch them even if, if they start taking off before they touch safe. But every once in a while in a game of hide-and-seek, things just happen. Or maybe your dad whistles down the street and you've got to run home because he knows you're coming. And so, if something like that happened, the person who is it would yell, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free! And that meant you can safely come out of your hiding place without being it or caught. I haven't the foggiest idea where that phrase comes from. But there you go. It means it's all right. You can come out now and not be it. Sometimes, hide-and-seek is decidedly not fun. One of the best songs that expresses the angst of playing hide-and-seek with God describes the emotion that you may have had. I waited for you today, but you didn't show. I needed you today, so where did you go? I cried out with no reply, and I can't feel you by my side. Anybody ever feel like that? Your prayers bounce back at you from the concrete ceiling above your bed? I have. Many times. 
Anyone ever want to yell, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free to God? This woman who wrote this song fortunately came up with the right answer. She said, So I'll hold tight to what I know. You are here, and I am never alone. We cannot separate because you are part of me. And though you're invisible, I will trust the unseen. Tonight we are going to touch on one of the great mysteries of life. How and why the Creator and Sustainer of every atom, of every molecule, of every star, and every soul can sometimes seem so far away. One of the goals in this portion of Matthew's Gospel is to give clarity on the hiddenness of God. And today, you and I are going to be exhorted to seek the hidden God. Matthew chapters 13-17 to has as a theme the hiddenness and the revelation of God. We're going to get to the revelation of God. But of course, in Matthew 13, we read the parables of the kingdom. You'll remember that one of the points that I made while talking about chapter 13 is that Jesus spoke in parables precisely so that those who didn't really want to hear him could physically hear the message of the kingdom, but quote-unquote, safely ignore it. Because, frankly, it sounds like nonsense to somebody who really doesn't want to hear. Happens all the time on Facebook. You don't have to see or hear God. You can choose, for now, to ignore Him. You don't have to listen to reasonable arguments about the personhood of the fetus or the significance of religious liberty or the value of living responsibly. In fact, chapter 13 ends with exactly this kind of people. After they had seen the miracles of Christ, they took offense at Him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. In other words, in your culture, you will be rejected because they reject Jesus. And He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In contrast, with those who believe and with those who do not, holds this contrast holds chapter 14 together. Matthew 14 starts with Herod hearing about Jesus, but Matthew notes in his description, he feared the people. Because Herod chose not to see, he murdered Jesus' forerunner. Then the crowds were fed by Jesus, but they were blinded to the miracle because they merely ate and were satisfied. Those who seek mere bread will not find the bread of life. The winds and the waves obscured Jesus momentarily from those who trusted Him. Then, in one of the most remarkable veiled references to the majesty of the Creator God, Jesus says, take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. And my friends, this is where we will find our hope when the skies above us are steel. Peter 
king of foot and mouth disease, scores a touchdown with this. Then call me out on the waves, only to veil God the Son again by the winds and the waves and sink. Oh, that I had the courage and the wisdom to be so blind as Peter. Finally, at the end of Mark 14, Matthew 14, the men of that place recognized him, and God the Son rewarded those who recognized him with shalom, with wholeness. If you take the time to read, to really digest, asking God the Spirit to open your eyes and heart, the Father will reveal himself and will show you enable you to know Him better. And as you know Him better, you will therefore love Him and trust Him more. Except when He doesn't. Because there will be those times as well. And we'll be called on to use our muscles of faith to seek the hidden God. Let's go to our text now and see why God hides Himself and how you and I might seek Him more intently. Matthew 14, 1-12. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. You know John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Jesus and he lived and he died doing exactly what he was meant to do. He was meant to call people back to Yahweh, to the God of the Old Testament, to worship Him so that when God sent His Son, Jesus, they would be able to recognize God the Son and give Him the glory. Herod, John's murderer, did not worship Yahweh and therefore was blind. And he refused to seek Jesus and he came up with whatever inane foolishness he came up with. By the way, this story brings up an interesting question. Was God hidden to John the Baptist as he rotted in the prison and eventually left his head, lost his head? Perhaps. I certainly wouldn't blame John for feeling that way. And we know that God gives more grace when and where it is needed. God doesn't prove Himself to be a miraculous provider to 21st century comfortable Americans who just want to know where they're going to eat their next meal because we don't depend on Him for miracles. However, Daniel's friends did. 
Daniel 3, 16-18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, fall down and worship me or I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. If this be so, if you're going to throw us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from burning the burning fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand one way or the other. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Don't be afraid of the people who will persecute you, my friends. They have no inch of authority over your life that God does not give them. In fact, Jesus says along the same lines, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Watch this. For John the Baptist, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. What life? The life that really matters. The life that is lived seeking the Father and finding Him even when it costs you your head. Back to Herod. Herod had enough vision to recognize that something was up. He, he knew something was going on. But he was unwilling to give up the skirt that he was chasing. And he was even willing to murder someone that he respected to stay in that skirt's favor. Yes, for many thousands of years, money, sex, and power have twisted people to fall into all kinds of foolishness. And we learn something else about Herod as he stood in contrast to the real king in this story. A king is one who is unafraid of people and is someone who has enough self-control that he doesn't need to puff himself up with idle boasts. But you see, Herod wasn't a real king. He was a client king of Rome. Furthermore, he was only a shadow of his grandfather, Herod the Great. And so, wanting to puff himself up, the magnificent but dubious boast, up to half my kingdom I will give you. This was meant to elevate himself to the great Persian kings of the past so the people who were drinking his wine and eating his tri-tip would think, oh man, what a great guy. He's a really powerful king. Folly. By the way, not to put too fine a point on this, but this exact attitude is what little pieces of plastic that we carry in our, in our wallets do to us. We use them to buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't know. Up to half my kingdom, says Herod. Unfortunately, Visa takes us seriously and will take all of our assets if we don't pay up, right? Herod Antipas was so weak that he needed to impress the people who were supposed to work for him. He was so weak he needed to reward his dancing girl. He was so weak that he murdered someone at his wife's demand. He was so weak that he feared his people to say nothing of Rome. And all of this, instead of seeking the real king who at that moment stalked around the desert searching for people to heal and to bless, 
body and soul, and who was most certainly not worried about the latest opinion polls. Don't be a Herod. Seek the hidden God. Seek the hidden God and you will find Him when you are looking because you will not find Him when you are looking at the people around you unless you have looked for Him in your closet before you started your day. A key promise. This is one of the most central promises. When you do your acts of righteousness. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whether you're giving or whether you're praying or whether you're fasting, do your acts of righteousness to bring glory to God as an audience of one. This woman who was singing about not finding God in her prayer closet recognized the mystery. God is hard to find. And He rewards those who continually look in the right places. He will see you seeking Him and reward you for your diligence even if that reward is not at the moment that you think that you need it. God hides Himself in secret places. For example, continuing in our chapter. Now when Jesus heard about John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. These were people who didn't have two pennies to rub together and they saw Jesus because they had nothing else to look at. At least they saw a miracle worker and they sought him out. And the story continues, verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. As a senior in college, I took a King James Bible as lit class. And I remember my professor looking at this exact passage and she said, well, the miracle here was that Jesus convinced everybody to share the food that they had. Now, the mental gymnastics you need to get there, to get to this kind of dribble, is actually very easy for those who do not seek the Lord. Those who want to blind themselves to the truth remain, for the moment, free to do so. So anytime you are tempted to describe a miracle in naturalistic terms, you know, 
Uh, some natural windstorm pushed back the Red Sea and they, Israel crossed. The star of Bethlehem was a conjunction of planets. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just swooned. Anytime you're tempted to fall into one of these lies, do everyone a favor and duct tape your mouth. And then ask the Holy Spirit to open your mind and heart. My friends, this miracle really happened and it has a very powerful point. The point of this miracle is that Jesus is willing and able to meet every need of those who follow him. He can do it. The point of this miracle is to prove that even in the wilderness, far away from all earthly provision, the God who owns the wilderness will provide. The point of this miracle is a promise. You can trust the living bread and the living water to meet every need that you have so that you may glorify Him. Not that all of your wants will be met, but so that you may glorify Him even if you are dying of hunger and thirst. Because there are things that are much worse than death. So seek the hidden God. And when your prayers bounce back at you, remember Isaiah 45.15, Truly, you are a God who hides Himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Why did Isaiah call Him God of Israel? The God of Israel is the way Jesus, God's people identify Him when they want to remember that there was once a man named Jacob who was as deceitful as they come. And God still called him. They identify God as the God of Israel when they want to choose to remember that He is the God of a people who ran away from Him every chance they got. And He still chose them to be their God. We must choose to remember to seek Him even as you and I run away from Him by running back to the God who will receive you the moment you return. In, the case, in this case, Isaiah wanted to remind himself and his readers that this God is also Savior. The One who calls us back even in the midst of His hiding. Choose to seek the God who hides Himself. And just to show you that this is what you should do, Jesus gave His friends an opportunity to do just that. Verse 22. Immediately after He fed the 5,000, He made the disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowds. And after He had dismissed the crowds, He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way out from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid." How many of you have ever been seasick? Does anybody here get seasick? I have been seasick often enough that I have great sympathy for these guys. I mean, oh my goodness, waves, wind, small boat. 
I can imagine myself being blinded to the glory of God at that moment as well. And that is why. Because being out at sea is so terrifying for us who need actual air to breathe, that Jesus gives the most important words in this section of the Bible. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Waves crashing, wind howling, screams overwhelmed and therefore silent. Your dad has cancer. Your friends are scared into inaction. Your time frittered away by overwhelming distraction. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. In this sin-sick world, with this sin-sick flesh, one of the difficulties is that we have to read God's Word in translation. Any translation can sometimes miss key elements that would otherwise jump off the page at you. And I, I don't get into the Greek very much because I above all want you to have hope that you can read God's Word for yourself. But there is in this particular place a something that's difficult to translate. Where it says, it is I, the words Jesus spoke are ego eimi, which is translated literally, I am. And he's using the exact formula in the Greek translation of the Hebrew of the name of God, I am, which we normally say as Yahweh. And Jesus, through the waves and the winds, are calling His friends to experience the name of the God of Jacob that He gave Himself. I am. My friends, there is nowhere and there is no when that I am not. I am. O oh, my soul be still. O oh, my heart Fret not thyself. The way is long, the mountains high, the valleys deep, and friends are sometimes false. I am. The I am has you, even when you cannot see him. The waves are crashing, the fear is mounting. I am. Your God, my friends, your God is the one who was and who is and is the one who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh God of the armies of heaven. And His armies are not seen right now we still mistakenly look at the armies of evil around us. How could God Almighty be hidden? How could He not be hidden? Because the least display of His glory would overwhelm the most hardened heart. And He has given us glimpses. The orange and the red of the sunset the glee and abandon of the three-year-old. 
the warmth of a loved one's smile, the hug on a dark day. These are the common graces that are open to atheists and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians alike. And they are meant to call us, to beckon us, to draw us with chains that are as hard as steel and as soft as satin. Seek the hidden God. And when you seek Him, you will find Him. We know this because of what Paul said. And the Lord, God the Father, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God. It's a command. And He does all of history so that we can obey that command. And perhaps the word there is grope. I love this. They're blindly trying to reach Him. Feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not very far from each one of us. All that the Lord asks of you is to call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Amen. In the midst of the waves and the wind, God is not far. He controls history to bring this point that we are living in about and He controls the forces of nature, which is exactly what He does here in verse 28. And Peter said to Him, Lord, if it is You, command me to come to You on the water. Jesus said, come. <laughs> I love that. That's, that is one of my favorite. I just, I love that image. Oh yeah? Come on. Come on, Pete. I'd love to party with you out here. Let's do some dancing. Oh wait, we're Baptists. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Best prayer ever. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is not a rebuke. It's a rebuke, but it's a mild one. Oh, my child, you didn't have to go through all this. And when they got back in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly You are the Son of God. Jesus here proved that ordinary believers, this is very important, don't miss my words here, ordinary believers could do whatever is necessary to bring God glory, even walk on water. If it's to bring God glory. Not just answer my own you know, need to puff myself up. Take the miracle of Peter walking on water as an example of what Jesus can do for those who trust Him, not as a promise of what He will do for those who trust Him. Because we just don't know. The Bible promises what we need, not everything that we want. And what we need is to glorify Him even more and breathe. John died in prison. Many believers have died in shipwreck. You also will face lonely months and years. Yet your Lord sees your devotion. He sees your acts of righteousness done in secret. And He swears that He will repay. You can trust that promise. 
So I will hold on tight to what I know. You are here and I'm never alone. We cannot separate because you are part of me. And though you are invisible, I will trust the unseen. Notice that. It's a decision. I will trust what is unseen. Because you have shown me in the light that I can trust you in the dark. Jesus proved that he could do whatever is necessary to calm the fears of those who trust him. Even if at that moment he does not. And this is why you and I must seek the hidden God. Now, fortunately for Jesus' friends two millennia ago, and for all of his friends since, God the Son answered them so that we could trust that he will for us as well. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. They saw, and they believed, and they were enabled from then on to seek the hidden God. Now, he bounces back to an earlier point in the chapter. Remember those people who couldn't rub two pennies together and they recognized him? Those of all ages who have nothing to hope for except him, seek him who hides himself. And here's another promise, lest we forget. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent all around to that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. I take it this thing about the fringe of the garment. Look, Jesus, I just want your leftovers. I just want the, I just want the smallest part because I know the smallest part of you is all that I need. And you will give me what I need to glorify you. This portion of Jesus' story ends with those around him recognizing him. And we will continue to see that in the rest of this portion of Matthew. So in contrast to those in Nazareth who saw him growing up and they chose to be blind to him, he was willing and able to make them whole. That should encourage us to seek the hidden God. So while you walk through this veil of tears, while you traverse the valley of the shadow of death, you must intentionally, thoughtfully seek the hidden God. And He will be found. And your act of righteousness done in secret will be to pray even when you feel hopeless. God will not fail to value and to honor that. And in the words of another song, in you I trust. In you I found my hope. In you I trust. You will never let me go. Be still, my soul. Let this song and these words echo in your heart when your prayers are echoing off the ceiling. Let's pray. Lord, it is a mystery why Many times our prayers feel they seem to bounce off the ceiling. But we trust in you, knowing that you don't let anything happen to us that is outside your will, and you use it all to draw us closer to you. God, I pray that you would give us that hope, that you'd give us that trust, so that we would know you 
through our trials and therefore love you and trust you through the remainder of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.